Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, And every week, I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. This week, we're talking with a four-star military veteran who wants to see a change in the way America votes. We felt we wanted to make a statement about the importance of our military vote counting. I mean, here we have those that are defending our Constitution, and we're finding ways to uh, not take into account how their vote is made and given, and then count it. But then, of course, we saw what was happening in the elections, the challenges that were made, the conspiracy theories that uh, were being promoted that I had absolutely no basis in truth. And I go back to the media and and the uh, lack of truth in some statements. But they're participating in a pretty free process, and that is the engagement in social media. A a well-intentioned state legislature may feel they want to reduce the number of automobile accidents. If they were to propose legislation that restricts the days you can drive, we'd be up in arms. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, and we're going to talk about election and politics. And the group Count Every Hero recently rolled out Operation Protect Democracy. And their goals are to increase veteran activity in voting and maintain American confidence in the electoral process. Reading between the lines as a former enlisted guy myself, I see... The election process is jacked up and some high-ranking military officers now retired are flexing their stars and bars to fix it. So I'm excited to talk with our next guest. He's retired United States Marine Corps General and former Commander-in-Chief of U.S. Central Command, General Tony Zinni. General, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, really glad to have you here because this is a sticky wicket. Uh, You know, we have seen this uh, over 
uh, the years just, you know, really, really get ugly. I want to start back in the fall of 2020, General, and with the group Count Every Hero. At the time, you were concerned about active duty military members' votes not being counted in time to affect the presidential race. And I recall seeing one of your comments um, about the time President Trump had tweeted out any vote that came in after Election Day will not be counted. To which you replied, Mr. President, remember your role as commander in chief. You went on to say that uh, I think one of the obligations is to protect the rights of your service members that serve underneath you and ensure that their voice is heard. And I couldn't help but feel like, yeah, if you got a four-star general telling you that, um, what you can't see in the text is a pretty stern look in the man's eye. Uh, Share with me a little bit about how you felt last fall when you guys started up Count Every Hero. Well, you know, I think there were a number of us, uh, senior generals and admirals and and civilian defense leaders, uh, who felt that... uh, as we saw the election coming up, that there were restrictions that were being suggested that would impinge on the ability of our service members to have their vote counted. Secondly, as we began to look at this as a group when we formed up, we saw the states vary greatly on when they get ballots out, do they count the votes or not, when do they count them, uh, what is the time limit before votes are not counted, and Given where our military members are deployed all over the planet, uh, and sometimes the, the problems that we were experiencing with the mail and everything else, we felt we wanted to make a statement about the importance of our military vote counting. I mean, here we have those that are defending our Constitution and the democratic processes, none of which is more important than the, the ability and the right to vote, and we're finding ways to... Uh, not take into account the the issues that may concern how their vote is made and given and then count it. Uh, We also wanted to make this effort, reach out to our active duty military members and make sure they knew the importance of voting, encouraging them to vote, to understand what the issues are, who the candidates were. So that was the gist of of, uh, and motivation for our effort. Looking back, do you think that Count Every Hero was successful, or do you think that the military votes were effectively accounted? I, I think we we certainly did uh, uh, gain uh, in terms of the number of military that voted. I think we drew attention to the processes that in each state. Uh, difficult for me to go through state by state and say what you know may have been adjusted and how it worked out. We certainly tried to gather uh, some information on you know, the effectiveness of what we did, and then the importance of us following up on that, not just make this a one-off or something that happens every four years or in the midterms. Uh, we see this as an important continuing effort, which leads into why we we then form the uh, Project Democracy, Protect Democracy. Indeed, and that's exactly where I want to go. Uh, suffice to say that, you know, the hangover from November or the process that we saw play out with the presidential election... Um, I don't know. I'll shoot straight. It was a show, right? It was just yeah. messy. And well put. Then, <laughs> yes, sir. And then you guys kind of don't get the band back together or rather you and several senior military officers have now joined forces and 
you're now pushing Operation Protect Democracy. What sparked the desire to continue to focus on elections now after all the dust has seemingly settled? Well, I think there were several reasons. One, as I mentioned, we felt the importance to follow up on, on the work we had done to try to encourage our military members to vote and make sure their vote counted. But then, of course, we saw what was happening in the elections, the challenges that were made, uh, the conspiracy theories that uh, were being uh, uh, promoted that I had absolutely no basis in truth. We saw the events of January 6th. These were all very alarming to us. And we thought we have to we had to go another step and, and then look at how we join in a nonpartisan effort, make sure we try to take as much as we can the politics out of this, which is difficult, and promote something that encourages us to look at how we are voting and what the Constitution means, and that we all understand these democratic processes and how important it is to protect them. And more importantly, to understand that those military members that are out defending our right to vote, and oftentimes defending the right of others to vote. Look, I spent two tours in Vietnam. Whether it was Vietnam, whether it was Korea, Iraq, Afghanistan, we're out there putting our lives on the line to make sure others have the right to vote. Military members should know that not only their right to vote is preserved and protected and encouraged, that their families, their friends, their communities, that things aren't happening like legislation that impinges on that ability for their, their basic people that they care about and their ability to vote. As we saw some of the state legislations, legislators come up with restrictions on the ability to vote, it caused another alarm to go off for us. I like how Operation Protect Democracy is broken down into six principles. I want to run through them with you if I can. First one, help secure elections free of foreign interference. Can you expand on that? What do you mean by that? Yes. Well, obviously, we saw in past elections the uh, involvement of uh, foreign entities, uh, Russia, China, others that uh, uh, may have tried to influence the election in some way, provide misinformation, affect the processes. And so that was one of the principles we wanted to be sure our intelligence community, our government is prepared to deal with and is paying attention to. A lot of that's done through social media, right? I mean, social media is this messy space where people are talking smack left and right, trading memes, a lot of things that influence people's decisions or mindsets. They might be foreign groups but they're participating in a pretty free process. And that is the engagement in social media. Like what is an example of something that would help secure elections free of interference from say the nastiness we see in social media? Well, I think one part of this is, and and I go back to the media, uh, our media, uh, to ensure that we constantly call out the misinformation and the the, uh, lack of truth in some statements. And immediately counter conspiracy theories or information that's put out that's not accurate, that's meant to to in some way influence the vote. Uh, I think it's up to those uh, uh, that have media outlets and those that uh, provide uh, social media platforms uh, that they get involved in this, too. Uh, You know, it's important that the drumbeat of truth continue. And as much as possible, we hammer on that. 
you know, it, it's people that are trying to play on fears. And so a large portion of our population may have concerns or fears that may be valid or may be generated, if not real, and they get played upon with this. And we need to ensure they have as much factual information to be able to counter this and think through it. It, it isn't enough to just challenge it all, but we ought to make sure that we help make, walk them through and understand that you know there are things that are being said that are patently untrue and they've been proven untrue. Uh, like mm -hmm. the, the election was stolen. You know, 60 court cases have found that there was no evidence of widespread fraud. And so it's important that that come out because that was done through our legal process. It was done in a way that was thoroughly investigated and there was a judicial decision on these things. And we need to keep that in front of the people that are frightened by what they hear about mis misinformation about fraudulent elections. If it bleeds, it leads is unfortunately the mantra of the media and being a member of it. I'm here to tell you that I see it all the time. I try not to do it on this show at all, because frankly, my only interest is, you know, us, our fellow veteran community. But man, you're so right. Every time you turn the TV on or the news they're even if they're not perpetuating the myth of some sort of conspiracy theory, you know, they want to put that front and center because it gets some clicks or they make those headlines or they make those teases coming up after the commercial break. You won't believe this. Are we really at war or is democracy dead? I mean, they hype it. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that would definitely be needed in this country. Uh, number two of the OPD principles is lobby for equal access to the polls for all eligible voters. How do you foresee that playing out? Well, you know, it's important for us to make it the ability to vote as convenient and easy as possible. Sure, we want to make it safe and protect it. But let me use an analogy here. Uh, a a well-intentioned state legislature may feel they want to reduce the number of automobile accidents. If they were to propose legislation that restricts the days you can drive or restricts the roads you can drive on, we'd be up in arms. We would say things like, well, well you know, improve safety through other means, traffic regulations, better infrastructure, road networks, technology for automobiles that make it safer. The state legislatures that are putting in play uh, in the name of, of preventing fraud, these restrictions on voting are taking the opposite approach. They're, they're making it less convenient to vote and, and making some parts of our population almost ineligible to vote because of this or, or preventing their ability in the most convenient way to vote. And in certain districts, making it much harder by restricting the number of polling places, uh, mail-in ballot con uh, convenience and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, that we want to make sure that no matter what district it is you're in, no matter who you are, that you have the most convenient way to vote protected through other ways than restrictions. Let me follow you down the driving analogy just real quick and ask, you know, in driving, you need to have a license to be on the road. But yet in a lot of places, you don't need to have your ID check to, to vote. Shouldn't we be looking for some policies and procedures to be strict enough to ensure that voting is actually happening by citizens of the United States of America? Well, I think there are many ways to do that. I mean, I showed my driver's license when I voted in the last election. Uh, can it be utility bills? Can be uh, several uh, uh, other forms of identification? 
you know, could it could it be a matter of uh, uh, verification that you receive something in the mail that you bring with you? I mean, I think there are many ways to do this without, you know, preventing people who maybe uh, don't have a driver's license for some reason, can have a driver's license for some reason. Uh, you know, I, I think we have to find ways, as I said, to ensure we have the right eligible voters, but to make it, to do it in a way that is very convenient, that we make sure we are encouraging them, that we are able to go out and uh, to them and help them go through any kind of certification we want. We should be doing everything we can to help voters, especially those that may have difficulty with the process because they're elderly, they're handicapped, they're infirm, they don't have transportation, they're alone. We should find ways to make sure that they are accounted uh, in some way that makes it the most convenient for them and not throw the entire onus on someone that maybe doesn't have uh, the, the ability uh, to meet certain requirements. And, you know, frankly, what I see in some of this legislation, it impacts certain groups of our society more than others. That's what, you know, our concern about. And remember, we're coming from that person may have a son or daughter or grandson or daughter that's in the military fighting for that right to vote. You know, and, and so yeah. we don't want to be able to, to say that, well, you know, they reduce the number of polling places in the district where your parents are from, or uh, they cut that back so that they can't vote on Sunday after the only day they have off from work, uh, you know, or some way that handicaps their ability to be counted. All right, let's talk about the next one, accountability of elected officials. Uh, please tell me if you have the answer for this, this would apply to so many things, even beyond voting. But uh, what steps do you think we could take towards ensuring the accountability of elected officials when they're making uh, these rules about elections? And frankly, are you talking on a federal level or a state level of official? We're talking about both. We're talking about, all, you know, all politicians. You know, politicians should be geared to serve the people. And going back to everything I've said prior to this, you serve the people by making their ability to participate in democratic processes as convenient and as easy, as, as, as reliable as possible. And legislation should be geared toward accomplishing that and not, and not in the name of security or preventing fraud, make it more difficult. You know, we certainly have the ability, as, as I said before, through technology, through other regulations, through many different ways to make it more convenient rather than just use restrictions. Uh, next one is incorporate all American voters directing the country's future. You know, I sometimes also think of that thing, too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, how can all Americans coming from a wide variety of socioeconomic backgrounds? And let's be honest, frankly, some people are smart and good at things like civics and some folks ain't right i mean i don't think i should be crafting foreign policy yeah but i'm a knucklehead of the radio you, show you don't want some special interest group crafting foreign policy uh, in other words you know, we have a representative government our voice is heard through our representatives so to make sure our representatives are not just listening to special interest groups you know, I have a difficult time when I see an issue where polling shows 70 percent of the people are in favor of something and the politicians are resisting it. Now, when we come back, we'll hear the surprising example that this four star Marine Corps general gives when CBS Ion Veterans returns. 
Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs for ConnectingVets.com. Now this hour, we're hearing from retired four-star Marine Corps General Tony Zinni. As the co-chair of Count Every Hero, he's standing with dozens of other high-ranking military veterans who are now pushing for change through Operation Protect Democracy. Their demands are outlined in six points, which we'll discuss this hour. We'll pick back up at the part of the interview where I asked him about one of them. Incorporate all Americans in directing our country's future. When I pressed General Zinni to explain how all Americans, many of whom don't know the first thing about policymaking, like myself, should do this, he gave an interesting answer. You know, I have a difficult time when I see an issue where polling shows 70% of the people are in favor of something and the politicians are resisting it. Uh, you know, so w- why are they resisting it? Why would they not go with the 70%? It's obvious. There's some special interest group usually involved with funding and money or and power and influence that is, is taking a, a, an opposition to 70% of the will of the people. And I think I see where you're going with that. Give me an example of something you've seen where, uh, you know, a, a predominance of the population seems to want one thing, but yet the elected officials are going in the opposite direction. Just take, uh, for example, uh, more stringent background checks on, on purchasing weapons. It, I mean, even a, a majority of the NRA is for that. That's not saying we're taking away your Second Amendment rights. We're just saying we want more stringent background checks to know who has these uh, who's possessing these weapons or attempting to buy them. And also, if someone falls into a category due to mental health or uh, criminal background or whatever, uh, that there's an ability to prevent their access to those weapons. Uh, you know, it, it's not a matter, you know, it's not a matter of saying that we are is trying to take away all weapons or violate Second Amendment rights. It's to do reasonable things you know, if you if you want these kinds of uh, we talked about identification, we talked about driving a car with a license. And, you know, we mentioned about identification to vote. Well, we're looking for more clarity on who owns weapons. And we clearly want to see ways that we could limit or prevent weapons in the hands of those people that have issues, mental health issues or criminal issues or background events or things that occurred. That would make them questionable about possessing these possessing these weapons. Mm. That's a powerful statement too, because you're a marine, right? So I mean, you're you're a guy that knows of guns, guys that knows of weapon training. And I I own guns. I I own guns. You know, and and I've been I was a marine for forty years. You know, and 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 I've been to war uh, a number a number of times, and. You know, I've seen the effects of, of weapons, and I understand them clearly. I'm an infantry officer, uh, and I would not want to deny a sportsman, a collector, uh, his, his or her right to, to, uh, to own uh, guns. I'm just saying let's find ways to get those of our society that should not have those in their, weapons in their hands because they have issues that create problems and generate these kind of mass shootings that we see in any way that we can restrict restrict them. Maybe we cannot prevent a hundred percent, but we certainly can limit the numbers that if we, if we take actions that the majority of people want, even gun owners. Uh, Another interesting thing in the big six here is the transparency and effective oversight of the electoral system. This one, you know, we'll get into a little bit deeper too. I, I don't even understand to its fullest extent, how it works specifically in all states. 
but you're talking about being able to see it and effectively control the electoral system as we have it now. Um, expand on that a little bit. Well, I mean, obviously, our, our forefathers created a system because, you know, the Constitution is many things. One thing it is, is a contract that was made among the states. So in some ways, acknowledging the states, like with every state will have two senators, despite population uh, differences, uh, there, there is a need to find a system that isn't pure popular vote. And there are some that want to go to that. The system is complex for people to understand uh, how states elect those that will go to the uh, electoral college and, and vote and how that process works. We want to do two things. One, educate the American people on what that process is so they understand it. And secondly, make sure there's transparency in that process, that in some ways it's not manipulated at, at a state level uh, or federal level or, or any other level. And, you know, this idea that we should maybe go to an entirely popular vote, well, that may have to be debated. Uh, you know, it, that would be difficult to accomplish because it would be a change to the Constitution. I think many states that aren't as populated would feel less represented. Uh, we would have populations in the cities that would dominate policy. So, you know, there are all sorts of arguments on, uh, on this both ways. But let's have an, an upfront, honest debate. Let's make sure everybody understands the system. More importantly, why the system was created that way by our founding fathers. And make sure we have open and, uh, and transparent ways that we see how that process is, plays out. Yeah. And in fact, that dovetails into the sixth one, which we won't get into specifically, but it just says civic literacy to an informed and engaged and expanded electorate. And that's well, exactly Bill, what you'd Bill, said. Be, be, before you dismiss that one, that is something that bugs me. Oh, okay. We have, in our high schools and in our schools, we have been cutting our civics courses. Everything is about STEM, which is important. Science, technology, engineering, mathematics. But how many people are doing things like we saw on January 6th that contend that they're doing it in the name of our Constitution and that clearly is not constitutional? They do not understand the Constitution. They do not understand the democratic processes. January 6th not only violated the Constitution in terms of an insurrection, it was interrupting a democratic process that was established uh, its basis in the Constitution. So, you know, that sixth one is critically important. I want every military member, when he or she raises her hand and swears an oath to support and defend the Constitution, I want to go to support. You ought to know what you're supporting. And then you ought to know what you're defending. Every American should. And it's the responsibility of our education system to provide that. And sometimes we, I think, neglect that. We don't understand that it is critically important for us in a democracy that everybody understands what our Constitution says, what is the basis in law, how our government is structured, how the democratic, democratic processes work. That is, that is fundamental to everything we've talked about. Damn right. Um, I looked with just my jaw dropped on January 6th when I saw what people were doing. And when I heard them believe that by disrupting what is basically a ceremonial thing, these people felt that if that didn't occur, then the president couldn't be elected. 
And it was, yeah. if you understood the fundamentals of how we do this process, you'd know that was complete bullshit. You can't overturn an election by just stopping that one procedure. Oh, okay. Right. Good point. Um, before we look at the legislation, specifically you're backing in the Senate right now, we touched on something in number five there that was uh, under the effective oversight of the electoral system that I just want to go a little deeper with you on if I can. And that is the electoral college. Um, and this could also be covered in number six as well. Knowing your civics, knowing your history, knowing what our country is founded on specifically, but where are you on electoral college? And the reason I ask is because I look at the electoral college as something that was originally made because when we were founded as a country, uh, people just wouldn't have had the capacity or the mental bandwidth to understand what was going on in our capital city. We were agrarian, we were farmers, we were poor. A lot of people just couldn't read or were relatively uneducated. So they picked rich white landowner guys and their white powdered wigs to go cast votes for their territories or their states as they were. And then it got morphed and changed. And even, uh, you know, as things happened throughout the country's history, you know, there were still kind of rich white people making a lot of decisions for a lot of different people. And as we got even closer to the civil rights revolution in our country, you know, we looked at actually overturning the Electoral College. And at one point in the late 60s came so close to actually eliminating it. But it was white segregationist elected officials that stopped that bill from happening all in an attempt to maintain their control and to, you know, basically be segregationists, which is not at all to the spirit of the country as I know it today. So why do we still need the Electoral College? I mean, let's face it, the big cities drive the products and the industries in this country. Amazon delivers more packages in the D.C., New York, Boston areas than it does in Idaho. It's an important thing. It's not that the big cities are choosing that Amazon is important over what a state like Idaho or Hawaii might think, but that's the trend. That's We service the massive amounts of people in the massive amounts of the country, and collectively as a whole, we decide what buys or flies in this nation. So why do we still need a, an electoral college that picks apart the values of the votes rather than just going thumbs up or thumbs down. I think we, we have to understand why it, it was created that way. Remember, we're the United States of America. We are not only a democracy, we're a republic. The republic brings together states that have agreed to work together and agree, on, uh, agree to provide each state with a certain amount of representation based on their statehood. If we're to go to a popular vote, and, and, and let me take a neutral position on this. If we go to a popular vote, we're basically saying we're not the United States of America. We're the United Cities of America. We're city states. Cities will dominate. City policies, urban policy will dominate. Now, do we want to go that way? That's a sincere question. You made an argument for it. Uh, there, was a, there are those who would make an argument against it, that we are then going to be driven to a, 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 an urban kind of conceptual design rather than one that considers urban, suburban, rural, and have that mix. Is going to a full popular vote more important than having that mix? This is a sincere question. It's, you know, it, 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 I, I, I'm not trying to... Uh, 
uh, in, get into a debate here. But I don't think it's as simple as saying we go to pure democracy or we stay with uh, some sort of Republican system, small r, you know, that, 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 that works this way. It, it, it is fundamental to who we are. And it, it, if we are to change it, that debate needs to be pretty thoroughly thought out in my mind. And, and, and I won't take a position on it uh, because I think each side ought to be able to express what they see as the advantages and disadvantages uh, uh, to this. And if we're going to go to a city-state construct, so be it. That changes our identity a great deal. It changes the way we operate. It changes the way policy will be made. It'll change the way our legislature is, is structured. Uh, all I'm saying is, if you're going to do it, don't think it's just as easy as one day you say, now it's all popular vote and that's it. I guess my thoughts on that are just, you know, like there are many things in this country that are decided by popular vote, though. Like McDonald's decides what hamburgers are popular on their menu or not, or what product they're going to sell based on the amount that they have sold in test markets. And well, it, doesn't, it, do, it doesn't matter what the majority that our forefathers talked about, that they tried to minimize the tyranny, the tyranny of the majority on the minority. Uh, you know, you, if you want to say everything is just by vote, if we're going to do everything by proposition, some of our states like California do that, and you're going to throw everything out to the people to decide, uh, you know, the, the argument our founding fathers had for a, a House of Lords, if you will, quote unquote, a Senate, which initially weren't voted on by the people, the senators were approved by the state legislatures, was meant to be a, a more tuned in educated class, and I don't mean just education in general, but educated as to the issues of, of, of policy and the issues of governance. Uh, if we're going to go to this, uh, you know, complete democratic process, understand what it means. That's what I'm saying is understand what it means. Mm. Okay. And as far as constitutional amendments, I've always wanted to ask somebody like you this, as we get into this discussion about how we elect our leaders, but, um, I've always been of the opinion that if Ben Franklin were to come back from the dead, he'd be amazed that we haven't amended that constitution more. I mean, we have phones in our pockets that are as powerful as the technology the astronauts took to the moon, yet our constitution still reflects some of these verbiage from you know the 1700s. I would think he'd look around and be like, you guys haven't updated this at all? Like, come well, on, man. Like, let me, me give be you a better uh, example. Thomas Jefferson felt that every 20 years we should review our laws because 20 years is a generational change, because new generations have different views and are experiencing a different world or environment. And so there, there was, when you look at the Federalist Papers and you look at the arguments going back and forth, there was an argument for constantly looking at uh, modifying the Constitution or our laws to reflect changes in our environment and changes in our society and changes in the way our new generations think uh, this this is the constant debate of our Supreme Court. Should it be strict interpretation or should they bring into account, you know, the, the changes? Just look at uh, the, the Second Amendment. Does that mean you can own a bazooka, you know, or a tank or because they had no concept of that in, in, in those days. So, you know, th these are the kinds of things that we should be discussing. I mean, this goes back to what I said about civics. First of all, understand what we are and what we have. 
and then understand what change means, and then debate it and think through it, and and let's make let's make educated, sound decisions on our future based on that. Would you in Operation Protect Democracy be in favor of discussing a constitutional amendment or rather forcing that discussion or publicly pushing our elected officials to start that discussion? Well, I think our position is any discussion on that, we would not take a position on one side or another. Uh, We try to avoid taking political positions as such. We take positions on principle, on democratic processes, on constitutionality. I think we would be in favor if that were to happen that we have a fulsome debate in some way, and this be done in, a, in, in the context of our democratic structure and our Republican structure. And I too would love to see that, by the way. I would love to get a beer summit with some generals, some admirals, <laughs> sit down with some elected officials and hash it out, uh, because I tend to agree with TJ. I definitely think that that's a, a worthy pursuit uh, to look at the laws. Speaking of laws, you're backing specific legislation, the For the People Act, the most important anti-corruption legislation of our lifetimes, as you've called it, and um, say that the future of our democracy depends on it passing. It is broken down into several things, but I'll run through a couple of them. Stop billionaires from buying our elections, secure and modernize our outdated election systems, strengthen our freedom to vote, end gerrymandering, and uh, make sure political politicians in Washington represent us not special interests. You've gone to some of that and explained your interest in some of that previously here in our conversation, but give me sort of your bird's eye view of what For the People Act is and where it stands in the Senate right now. Well, obviously in the Senate, it, it's having problems uh, getting through. It, 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 it obviously uh, will probably require some more evolutions before it, it has the possibility of passing. Uh, our position on this is uh, we want, you know, that kind of legislation goes to the heart of what we talked about before, about ensuring we make the voting process as convenient and as easy and as credible as possible. Uh, we, we feel that that legislation is necessary in many ways uh, to curtail the influence of money and power uh, in, the, in our election processes. Uh, you know, when the Supreme Court decided that, you know, corporate entities and others can uh, donate millions and millions uh, uh, to uh, campaigns, uh, that is never a good thing in our mind. Trying to get the money and the money influence out of it, the, the power influence out of it, uh, even some of the things that influence decisions by our Congress. You know, uh, being in the military, we know darn well that a lot of decisions about acquisition on military equipment are not based on need or study. They get based on politics. Is it built in my district? You know, I think everything we're doing is trying to make this more clear, more honest, uh, more transparent, and certainly more influenced by people. And, uh, and the people, to add to that, we want more educated and, and, and have more available uh, transparent and clear information on these decisions so they can influence their political leadership. So the act itself helps us uh, prevent some of the things we're beginning to see at the state level that are impinging, again, on, on, on our, our voting uh, process and the ability of, certain, uh, of our society to vote. Gerrymandering is, is a classic example. I mean, uh, some of these uh, districts that you look at look like an inkblot. You know, that no, there's no common sense to their structure. Uh, they're obviously constructed by the 
party in power to generate the kind of influence that gets them more seats, uh, whether it be in state level, local level, or, or uh, federal level. And so that's, what, that's why we're in favor of legislation that uh, attempts to deal with these kinds of issues and prevent anything at the state level from what we feel is a constitutional uh, requirement for voting to be done based on the people's understanding of uh, you know what the issues are as opposed to outside influence. Mm. I feel you on that too because I live just north of DC, a city where you've served uh, you know throughout your career, and uh, yeah, you know you know that two seventy corridor, the highway that runs north south, just north of DC, and both parties are guilty of the gerrymandering. I've seen it change when Republicans were at hand. I've seen it change with the Democrats most recently. You know, they've just garnered the they've been they've made my voting district the larger cities up that corridor just north of D.C., carving away the farmland areas. So now my elected official represents all the populated parts of Montgomery County to my south and a couple of the blue cities in Fredneck County, Frederick County, where the rednecks live. And I look at that and I say, you just gerrymandered. You just picked the cities where, you know, they'd vote Democrat and then boom carved out all the farmland where you think it skews red. And then there's no way that my representative can be anything, but the one that appeals to the larger, more populous cities just North of DC, which typically vote Democrat. Um, the gerrymandering is a nightmare and it happens on both. It happens both sides, both colors, both yes. parties. Uh, yes. Quickly. You'd mentioned citizens United stop billionaires from buying our elections. So much money is in politics and people do learn through sound bites and you throw enough 60 second ads at people and pretty soon they're they are like, oh, yeah, that candidate does hate cats. That candidate doesn't like babies. It's ridiculous. But how do you sever? How would you see severing that uh, that that money from the political process, considering the Supreme Court has ruled a liberal Supreme Court, I might add. That Citizens United is OK, that. A corporation is a person and it can donate as much money as you want. You need to overrule that. You can't just simply disavow that decision. Don't we need that to get looked at again and overruled? Because it's BS how much money enters the process and how many 60-second sound bites our electorate gets intoxicated by. You're right. It has to be overruled. Uh, you know, look, let's just take it from a candidate side, a, a candidate that, that wants to discuss issues, that that wants to debate issues, must spend his or her time fundraising, you know, catering to special interest groups, catering to those with the money, because they couldn't run an effective campaign without millions and millions of dollars. And it even goes down to the local and state levels. It, it, it's not just the higher levels. And all this money that we're investing in, in this or, be, or it's being given to this, just think of the good it can do somewhere else if it wasn't used. Uh, just to try to get people elected and overcome maybe debate on issues or overcome the time that candidate can spend on, on dwelling on issues and, and communicating to their constituents more directly. Mm -hmm. And lastly, modernizing the election systems. Um, I've always been a fan of the concept of like, how come we don't vote at Home Depot and Walmart? How come we don't vote at the stores that are so prolific in our country, whether you're talking uh, Idaho or Montana and some rural state or whether you're talking a populated urban area? We all have certain stores and brands and things that are part of our daily life cycle when it comes to buying food and groceries. And 
flat screen TVs. How come we're not that's voting? Right. How come we're not voting right in places on. like that? How come we're not I mean, voting goes, in places? That goes back to the convenience of voting. It, we should do everything in our power to make sure every individual can cast a, a safe, legitimate vote, you know, and not ha- and be prevented to, from doing that because they have to work or they don't have transportation or some other issue. You know, we should be finding ways to ensure the voice of our people uh, is heard and, and not in, in any way further restricted. I go back to my automobile uh, analogy. You know, you don't use restrictions as a way of meeting another requirement. We are at a point in time in our history as humans. Look what we just did with COVID. Basically, in one year, this scourge, we got control over it. Uh, you know, you can't tell me that we can't find a way to have all the things that you just described happen and make that election credible and safe because we know how to use the technology. We know how to build the software. We know how to think through a ways to make it easier for people that have uh, certain inabilities that, 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 that make it more difficult for them to vote to overcome those things. Amen. General, I could talk to you for hours about election and politics. I love the cut of your jib. Uh, you are a Marine first and foremost, but as a former four-star United States Marine Corps general, uh, I really appreciate everything you're doing with Operation Protect Democracy. I appreciate you pushing for legislation to make elections fair and make it make sense. Thanks, Bill. Now, if you want more information about the organization Count Every Hero, it's a cross-partisan organization. You can find out details at counteveryhero.org. And there you can sign up and receive email updates and basically hear more as they continue to push this Operation Protect Democracy. Because as it says on their website, political power is vested in the American people. And as veterans, our oath and devotion to the Constitution drives us to ensure that no policy or politician weakens that power. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at IonVeterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes, and I'd love to talk to you every week, so please like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show, because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Eye on Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place 
to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.